Hey guys, this is Joe. Come out to the coast. We'll get together, have a few laughs. What's up, everybody? It's Eric. Just a fly in the ointment, Hans. The monkey in the wrench. The pain in the ass. They've seized a building and taken hostages. One man has managed to escape and is trapped inside. I'm starting to get a bad feeling up here. John McClane didn't want to be a hero. Send the police now! But he's the only chance they've got. Bruce Willis in Die Hard. For his stories of sheer adventure. Rated R. Now playing in selected cities. Starts Wednesday, July 20th at theaters everywhere. You're listening to Worth the Leafy, the podcast where two former video rental clerks watch movies that they may have recommended at one time to see if they still think that the film would be worth keeping an extra day or two to watch again, even if it meant paying a late fee. What's new, Joe? Nothing much, Eric. Nothing much. I'm uh, it's the time of the year, so I'm binging Christmas <clears throat> movies nonstop, and it's been amazing. It's been very, very Christmas. relaxing. <laughs> I've been listening to a lot of Christmas music, but I haven't been binging Christmas movies. Other than this one, of course. But, uh, uh, <laughs> I was just going to bring up to you. Did, I don't know. My brother uh, messaged me a little while ago. In Lynn and Concord, New Hampshire, uh, in the next coming weeks, Chevy Chase is going to be there doing a QA and a uh, after the screen of Christmas Vacation. And tickets are only 40 bucks. So I'm like, I may just like, I'm really, it would be awesome to see Chevy Chase speak because he's kind of getting, he's getting old and he's a legend despite some, issues he's had with personal stuff like he is a legend comedy wise and he is a legend comedy wise but i have just heard that he's such a he is and like like, i'm like but watching a video of him late recently where like he was getting wheeled to the stage like a wheelchair i'm like oh man like it's tough to see that like someone like you never want to see that so but definitely i would it'd be so fun hearing him like just speak about the movie and some behind the scenes stuff i'm sure yeah um but yeah so my update is Literally, lots of Christmas movies, and Christmas classics, cartoon specials, and you know. Yeah, I, I've I've been watching. I haven't been watching a lot of movies. I've been watching a lot of hockey this time of year. Obviously, I, uh, but I can't think of a movie or a show that I watched since we last recorded. I do have a podcast to promote. It's this podcast does not need our help because it's hosted by Seth Rogen, so it does pretty well. <laughs> It's called Storytime with Seth Rogen. And all episodes that I've listened to, I think I've listened to like five or six before or something are great. But there's one, and at the time of us recording, it's the most recent one that he just released. It's called The Ballad of Mount Doogie Dowler. I heard about this podcast episode because of a hockey writer that I follow. He shared it on Instagram and he said, this is the craziest story I've ever heard in my life. And so I was like, God, I never even listened to Seth Rogen's podcast before that, but I trust this hockey writer. I like Seth Rogen. So I was like, <clears throat> can't go wrong. Right. So I, that is not an understatement. It is the whole premise of the podcast is like Seth Rogen listens to someone tell a story from their personal life. They're not celebrities. They might be like comedy writers or something, but it's no one big. This is like his, I think it was his like in-laws, like it's like an in-law or like a brother of a friend or something. And it is the craziest story about this guy. And this isn't a spoiler. This guy getting attacked by a grizzly bear and surviving. And I'm telling you, it's an hour long. If you guys, wherever podcast, I know I shouldn't advertise other podcasts on our podcast, but it's available on all podcast apps. 
download this episode. You get an hour long drive. You will be, Bree and I were driving around over the weekend. We were like on the edge of our seat the whole time. It's insane. And the guy himself is this like super humble. Like he's just, he's this guy from Vancouver, just like totally unimpressed by how nuts the story is. And Seth Rogen, you know, his like stoner laugh. He's like, what? <laughs> but yeah, it's awesome. Speaking then, of, Speaking of podcasts, did you see the, the It's Always Sunny podcast is number one on Spotify above Joe Rogan? How good is that? That makes I, me so can happy. I, can I tell you Can I tell you something since no one listens to this podcast anyway? <laughs> or not, not nearly as many people. I have listened to, I think, three of those episodes. I download every single one because in my mind, and it's a great podcast. Don't it's get hel- it's helping. I love that it's- show. It's really fun. Like I do the same thing, actually, for the same reason you're about to say. Yep. It's it's helping <laughs> Joe Rogan. And this is someone, this, not that Joe Rogan gives a fuck what I say, but this is someone coming from someone. I listened to Joe Rogan for years. I probably told Joe to listen to 50 Joe Rogan episodes. He needs to be knocked down a peg. Like he, he's he's giving medical advice. He's whatever. He need the world needs to, to, to knock him down and no one better to do it than the guys from Zoe Sunny who are like the most hu- it's, it's like so humble, like whatever. So yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, the one thing I just realized is last night when I was looking for something to watch, the one movie that I had, you know, a movie I watched like 40 or half hour, 40 minute stretches of twice in the past, like in the past week, but really in the past, like three or four days, <laughs> Uh, back to the future i keep catching it on tv and if i don't have anything to do and i stumble upon back to the future one i'm in like i'm in for you know what i mean it's just like a super no matter what part you tune in you're like okay you got me until i have to do something so i haven't watched anything new though what about you you watching anything good uh nothing really other than like i said some specials from christmas movies i ended up getting lucky and getting tickets for spider-man with my brother um that's coming out thursday so we're doing that and uh, thankfully, so we got tickets for the 3D showing, and it's amazing because no one likes 3D. So we have, like, as of right now still, which a lot of the theaters have already sold out, we still have a nice open theater in 3D. So awesome. I hope it stays that way so we can just kind of, like, because, you know, while I love one of the movies, I'm still obviously wearing my mask in the theater the entire time. But I just don't want to be crowded either, like, super, super yeah. crowded. But I know I'm going to get myself into with this movie, but hopefully it stays the way it is now. I had to, but, uh, for work today, I had to do, a, like, a trade show down in rhode island and the show is like less than half as busy as it usually is because of covid and whatever but it was canceled last year so this is the first one back so i feel a little bit better like i was kind (coughs) of excuse me i was kind of iffy on if i wanted to go or not and i was like no you know you know i gotta get back to life you know and i was like i'm vaccinated i'll wear a mask whatever and so i did but it is weird, man. Like it's, it's, yeah. you know, if, but whatever. What are you gonna do? I, I will say to Eric, I, I want to get your live reaction here because I want, I, I was going to text you this, but I'm like, nuts. All right. So I've also, as of today, I've been playing NHL 22. Yeah. <laughs> I am. I am in, in my NHL 22. I'm in like the sixth season of my be a pro mode. <laughs> I've won the Stanley cup. I got drafted by Seattle. I did, I think two seasons with Seattle. I demanded a trade. <laughs> they sent me to they sent me to Florida. I did a season with Florida, won a cup there, and then I was a free agent. And one of the things that drives me crazy about be a pro is obviously I'm from Massachusetts. I want to play for the Bruins. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
So I wish that it would be more like every team would offer you a contract, but it's not. It's like, you know, I'm setting, I'm scoring like 160 goals a year and, <laughs> and I'll get like two contract offers for two year deals. I'm like, what do I have to do? And, but after my, after my entry level deal ran out with, with, with start with Seattle and then Florida, after that ran out, the two teams that offered me a contract were the Bruins in Florida. And I was like, see you, Florida. So now I'm, I'm a proud Boston Bruin. So I mean, my guy tonight, he is small. He is no checking skills, but he is a fast little bastard. So that's all I want. Uh, I wanted a fast, was a fast skater. What position center center. Yep. Yep. That's the best yep. one. <clears throat> I played defense in real life, but it's, it's just not the same. Thing, you know. So, but anyway, so you guys heard the trailer, you heard our quotes. So I think these quotes more than other quotes we've done, you probably could have picked up the, the movie, but you also heard the trailer. We're going to be talking about the 1988 summer movie that is somehow a Christmas classic. Thanks for Run DMC. Yeah, Die Hard. So um, I'm also drinking, uh, again, I think I drank this last week, Harpoon Winter Warmer. Um, I swear I went to RMA yesterday and I picked up a six-pack of beer. I had every intention... <clears throat> of picking up a new Christmas beer. And I thought I did, but I think I just got sidetracked and started picking out all these other random things. And I got home and I went to the fridge today and I was like, I guess it's winter warmer, which I'm okay with. Nothing wrong with that. Um, this is, this is my pick um, for, for a Christmas movie. And I have a fun fact just to mention while we're talking about that, which is 20th century Fox, the production company behind Die Hard franchise formally admitted that Die Hard 1988 was a Christmas movie after stating that, quote, it's the greatest Christmas story ever told in a new trailer to mark the 30th anniversary of the film's release, thus ending the debate over, over all the year. So it, did, it does work for this time of year. Um, but in all seriousness, I said at the end of the last episode, I wanted to get this in as a Christmas pick while I could before things changed a little bit. Christmas movie or not, this is an absolute classic. And one thing that was great rewatching this the other day, I watched this with my wife, Bree, and it was her first time seeing it. Ever. Oh, wow. That must have been a really cool experience. Just to get her it reactions was, to some of it. Dude, it was awesome. And what we could talk, well, I'll probably bring it up more, but she loved it, which that explains why this movie's so good. Like I'm 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 like the target audience of this movie. Well, I'm I'm not um I was three when it came out, but you know what I mean? Like male whatever my wife loved this movie but what's your memory of this one before i so i saw when i was younger um my father had this movie and i watched it with him on the old vhs medium there but uh since then as man is like like you said it's on tv all the time now it's i must watch it dozens of times a year in all honesty it's always on amc or um uh like I said, I have the 4K Blu-ray. I have the Blu-ray set. I have them all. I, I, I was on this movie in every format it came out on, but it's just yeah. it's, it's timeless. Yeah, this is one of the movies that, looking back, I was allowed to watch way too young, but <laughs> but I loved it. Like you said, it was always on TV. I've probably seen this. I don't even know. This is probably in the top five of movies that I've seen the most. Yes. At least like a half-hour stretch here and there. You know what I mean? Between and Harry Potter. Which is you know very different films, but these are two films I've watched the most for sure. Right, the Die Hard franchise and the Harry Potter franchise, and it did very well in theaters. Do you have any stats as far as? How I do. Well? So 
like Eric said, Die Hard came out on July 15th, 1988, and had a budget between 25 and 35 million, making somewhere between 139.8 and 141.5 million in the box office. Um, I'm not sure why I couldn't get that more specific because it's pretty close to begin with, but yeah, it was written by Jeb Stewart and Stephen E. D'Souza. Jeb Stewart was also one of the writers on the film The Fugitive, amongst others, such as Another 48 Hours, Fired Down Below, the uh, Steven Seagal classic, yep. and more. His last movie came out in 2010, so he hasn't done a lot. He has a, he, his resume is pretty small to begin with, but I mean, having this and The Fugitive on it is pretty much is enough yeah. to begin with. Not bad. Um, yeah. And Stephen Ida Sousa has had a very successful writing career and is among a handful of other screenwriters who have earned over $2 billion in the box office. Wow. Some of the hits to help push him there were 48 Hours. It's funny how he did the first, he did 48 Hours and the guy did another 48 Hours. Um, Commando, The Running Man, Die Hard 1 and 2, The Flintstones. I had to throw that one in there. And, uh, and a lot more. And he was also involved with some TV as well with his most recent work being the TV series Unknown Soldier in 2012. So that's his most recent work. Were you going to so, say something? Yeah, so a couple of interesting things from there, from, from those two things. So the 48 hours, one and two, but really 48, 48 hours, that's kind of like the template. I give that a lot of the credit for like the, the buddy cop movies that, you know. Uh, so it's interesting that's interesting because die hard is also there's been a million movies even still to this day a movie will come out and someone will say oh it's like it's die hard but on uh yeah white house you know, was it white house down was exactly which is literally, but like i, I love that right. movie's fun but like yeah it's, example. It's pretty, it pretty much is like you said die hard in a different setting <laughs> right so and then the other one uh the second writer that you mentioned can you give me the movies that he was involved with again you can leave the flintstones out <laughs> 48 hours commando the running man die hard one and two okay commando and running man another huge thing about die hard is it was the transition from like commando running man rambo the terminator the reason manly like action films like big action stars and they were yep yeah and we'll get into this later because i know i have notes on it but Part of the reason why, if my two best friends, Scotty and Adam, are listening to this, and really, it's a lot of people are going to disagree with me on this. I'm not a huge Rambo guy. I'm not a huge Predator guy. And one of the reasons I like this so much more is that John McClane looks like people I know. See, that's that's, I'm going to put that as my favorite part of this movie in a little bit, but I agree. Yeah, so... So it's interesting that 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 writer started and was involved with a couple of the the early 80s prototypical action movies and then transitioned to this, which is, you know, in my opinion, the, the best. As oh, far for as sure. <clears throat> so uh, did you have anything else? Sorry if I cut you off. No, no, no. no it's, I, I agree with what you're saying. Uh, and then finally, the movie was directed by John McTiernan, who legal issues aside, has also been involved with some great movies with Die Hard and Die Hard Vengeance, which Die Hard Vengeance is amazing. Um, Predator, The Hunt for Road October, Last Action Hero, which we did in the past, and Rollerball, which I unfortunately saw in theaters, and more. <laughs> now, what's this? Isn't there? Isn't part of his legal troubles? Don't isn't some some of it? 
involve rollerball? Yeah, yep. I guess I I I, I can't remember what it was. I, brief, I should have looked yeah. into it beforehand, but I, I think he was like, was it like phone tapping? Something people like people involved in the movie, and he got caught. And oh yeah, it was it was a big. And that was I think since then he's like been bankrupt and he's been in debt, which is a shame because he was on top of the world at one point. Yeah, that's his resume is pretty much you know action movies in the eighties. Who do you want to direct it? That that's a tough resume to to beat. Um, critically, this one, I mean, eight point ten, eight point two out of ten on IMDb. It's crazy. Ninety, yeah, ninety four percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and that kind of goes back to what I was saying about my wife loving this movie. I don't think I know anyone that does not like Die Hard. They may think, and I bet you my wife would be in this category. She probably sat down to watch it like, oh god, Eric's making me watch this movie. And then she loves it. Like she, she didn't just like, oh, that was pretty good. She loved it. It's just everyone can find something that they like about it. So I don't think this is a stretch to say that this is thought of as one of the, the greatest action movies of all time. So critically, it's thought of well, except Roger Ebert. I know this is, this is one of the ones I never, this is one was I throw as an example of what I don't agree with. Yeah. Two stars. And this is a quote from, uh, from his review. Without the deputy chief and all deputy chief and all that he represents, Die Hard would have been more than passable, a more than passable thriller. With him, it's a mess, and that's a shame because the film does contain superior special effects, impressive stunt work, and good performances, especially by Rickman as a terrorist. Which that makes no sense to me because we can get into what you think about Paul Gleason as the deputy chief and whatever, but. If you think that Alan Rickman was as good as he was, which he was amazing, one of the maybe the best bad guy of all time, and you think all those other good things, how does that knock it down to a two out of two stars? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. This is one of those reviews I always kind of I never understood. Like when we, I, I, I love Richard Ebert. I have all of his books that he was like, you know, he was involved with. But this movie, No Connect, No Different Place, I always want to go back to. I just don't get, like, he wasn't even in, um, uh, what's his name, Paul Gleason deputy chief wasn't in the movie enough to i could see if that takes points off fine like if you want to say yeah. that's why i gave it three instead of three and a half or three and a half whatever but i don't see how you knock it down you say all that stuff you note how good alan rickman was and then you bring it down to a two but whatever yeah a free country so um came on july of 88 crazy month in film came out the same day i believe as midnight run which is what a weekend um, also that month, Caddyshack 2, uh, Big Top Pee Wee, uh, License to Drive, A Fish Called Wanda, Cocktail. What a month. Yeah. Outside of theaters, or yeah, outside of Hollywood, uh, in a real meeting of the minds, Mike Tyson hires Donald Trump as an advisor. So you can see maybe a, maybe a future VP candidate if he runs again in, in 2024. Uh, MMA star Conor McGregor was born. Michael J. Fox married Tracy Pollan and Wayne Gretzky married Janet Jones. So not much else other than some stuff, the usual bad stuff that we don't want to talk about because it's just depressing. So do you have the uh, back of the DVD summary, back of the VHS? I do. I, I, I should have grabbed the uh, VHS summary just for nostalgic sake here. But um, New York policeman John McClane is visiting his estranged wife and two daughters on Christmas Eve. Real quick, I, I, I want to make a note of that. There was it two daughters or was it a daughter and son? I thought it was a daughter and son. Me too. That is a typo then. Yeah. Uh, he joins her at a holiday party in the headquarters of the Japanese-owned business she works for. 
but the festivities are interrupted by a group of terrorists who take over the exclusive high rise and everyone in it. Very soon, McLean realizes that there is no one to save the hostages but him. So one of my favorite, I don't have notes of this later, so I want to mention it because you just made me think of it. One of the things I noticed that I loved this time rewatching it that I kind of forgot about was the culture shock of a New York or an East Coast person going to LA. And I remember I went to see my wife's family. She has family in San Diego. And my wife and I were only dating for like a year. And we went out to San Diego and it is just such a different vibe, like that West Coast, like relax, whatever, which is good. It's why they probably, I don't have uh, stats to back this up, but they probably live longer because they don't have, they're not as stressed out. But I remember I was, I left a day or two before my wife did and I needed a ride to the airport and my wife's cousin was supposed to bring me back to the airport. And you know, you like Joe knows I'm weird with being on time. I don't like being late, especially when it's like for flights and stuff. So I'm trying to like politely be like, Hey, John, like, you know, we got to go. And he's like, he's going like, Oh yeah, no man, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. And I'm like, no, it is though. Cause like the plane's going to leave. It's not like, it's not like we're late for dinner reservations or something. Like I spent a lot of money on this plane ticket, but it, it's just that like San Diego, SoCal, like, nah, man, don't even worry about it. So I love seeing him arrive and, and then he gets to the party and like that guy comes up and kisses him and he's just like, what the heck is up with these people? But yeah, that was, that was a fun thing that I never noticed before that I, I really liked this time. So some of the uh, the big stars coming into this movie, um, Bruce Willis, obviously, John McClane, by far the biggest star in this one, I think, at least, well, not, not the best performance, but I think he's probably the biggest movie, uh, like headline name in this, or, or poster name in this one. So he had work before this, but mostly TV. This is definitely his big break. Um, after Die Hard, he had Look Who's Talking, Last Boy Scout, Pulp Fiction, 12 Monkeys, Last Man Standing. Which Joe, have I ever got your thoughts on Last Man Standing? I mention this all the time. It's like a guilty pleasure of mine. I, I haven't seen it in a long time, and I remember it being a guilty pleasure of mine, too. I don't know if I like it more now or like it less. Okay. <laughs> it yeah, now, yeah, but yeah. yeah. I remember enjoying it, though. Okay. So Fifth Element, Armageddon, Sixth Sense, the, obviously the other Die Hard films. And another fun fact that I had to mention here. The kid. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, another fun fact. Bruce Willis's favorite role has always been John McClane, he says. So that says yeah, something. That's awesome. Um, next, really the co-headliner, maybe the MVP of the movie. We can discuss this. Alan Rickman. 100% the MVP. <laughs> yep. Unfortunately, he passed away a few years ago. And what a talent. This, when I read this fact, this blew my mind. Die Hard was actually his first movie. He had, before that, he had quite the career in TV and theater, but he was like 40 when he made this and it was his first movie. That is insane. Just like we were saying about Die Hard being kind of the template for action movies and people trying to copy it. He, I think a lot of people tried to do the Hans thing, like the smart, kind of calm, almost likable bad guy after Alan Rickman. No one did it like him though, but after Die Hard, he was involved with Quigley Down Under, Truly Madly Deeply, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Michael Collins, he plays Eamon De Valera, uh, 
Dogma, Galaxy Quest, the Harry Potter films, obviously, Love Actually, and then a, a, another fun fact that I wanted to throw in, in an article for the 30th anniversary of Die Hard, Bonnie Bedelia, who plays uh, Holly Gennaro or Holly McLean, depending on what part of the movie, um, she stated that the first thing she thinks of when someone mentions Die Hard is Alan Rickman. The two became friends and had lunch together every day while shooting the movie. She expressed how lovely and gentle Rickman was in real life, which when you combine that with the fact that, you know, him being one of the greatest actors, it's, it's quite the combo. Speaking of Bonnie Bedelia, who stars, like I said, as Holly Gennaro slash Holly McLean, um, depending on who you're talking to. She starred in the soap opera Love of, My, Love of Life. Her film debut was in the Gypsy Moths. And she also starred in uh, Love and Other Strangers, um, Heart Like a Wheel, Prince of Pennsylvania, Presumed Innocent, Die Hard 2. Steady career, still working. But I think this is probably, I, I, when I see Bonnie Bedelia, this is what I think of, without a doubt. There's not even any hesitation. And the last person, last cast member I wanted to mention is uh, Reginald Vell Johnson, who plays Al. You almost certainly know him as Carl Winslow from Family Matters, if you're my age or anywhere near my age. Also in Die Hard 2, Crocodile Dundee, Turner and Hooch, and some other things. Um, also still active, still working, so get it, Reginald. But um, he was great in this movie. I can't remember what, is, what the other movie I looked at on his uh, filmography, but he but between this family matters and at least one other movie he just like apparently he looks like a cop or something he watching this movie i was like he's pretty much carl winslow you know what i mean he looked just like carl winslow in this one so um did you have anything down for uh random facts and i guess before we even do that i also have to mention paul gleason as the deputy chief that uh ebert hated so much um Devereux white played argyle who's a sneaky kind of like cool character in this movie but yeah it was a solid cast but those those are the big ones even him even even our guy like for, for such awesome for such like small screen time he makes a huge impact in the movie like stuff like that is like why well, this movie's so good <laughs> oh he's the only question i have about argyle in this movie is in the scene where he decides to take a stand and he runs the limo into the van trying to make a, a getaway and hits theo and then he punches him and knocks him out you, dude, you'd have you better be Mike Tyson if you're gonna believe in your punch that much <laughs> that you just like that. This is a terrorist who's trying to kill people. Either tie that guy up or like get in the car and beat him to death or something. You can't just be like one punch him and be like, all right, I'm safe. But yeah, our guy was awesome. He's hilarious in this too. He's like comic relief. He's, he's great. Um, what'd you have down for like random facts, trivia stuff? So you already mentioned one of mine with um, Bonnie talking about Alan Rickman, which I loved because Alan Rickman, everything I read about him is always amazing. So I had the fiction, the fictional Akatomi Plaza is the headquarters of 20th Century Fox. The company charged itself rent for the use of the then unfinished building. Um, the scene where McLean falls down a shaft was a mistake by the stuntman who was supposed to grab the first vent as it was originally planned. He slipped and continued to fall, but the shot was used anyway. It was edited together with one where McLean grabs the next vent uh, as he falls, as he, as he falls, which I didn't get any confirmation if the something was okay, but I assume he was since they mentioned he died in that. <laughs> so The building is now named after the stuntman <laughs> yeah. who perished. Um, I have two more. On Alan Rickman's first day of shooting, he filmed the scene where Hans Gruber first runs into John McLean. 
He made a jump off a ledge about three feet high. He injured himself when he landed on the damage uh, and damaged uh, cartilage in his knee. He was told by the doctor not to put any weight on that leg, and he had to use crutches for a week. For the rest of the scene where Hans Gruber is standing and talking to John, John McClain, Alan Rickman is standing on one leg for the entire time and has a leg brace on under his pants. So I did see that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. What do you have? That scene is so weird to me because it's it's two things. It's such a cool concept that they would come face to face and that Alan Rickman thinks he's putting one past him. I also love that John McClane has the street smarts and, and, you know, Alan Rickman goes to shoot him and he's like, what do you think? I'm an idiot. And he, and he, if he you know, it's empty. Yeah. But my only problem with that scene is one of the greatest things about Alan Rickman is his voice. He has a once in a generation voice. That dude can do whatever accent he wants. You're going to know. And clearly John McClane did, whether it was, you know, how he pieced it together is one thing, but it, it, his voice is so, yeah, like it's very distinctive. Yeah, it's, very, distinctive, it's, it's, yes. it's, it's the Morgan Freeman of uh... <laughs> right. Like if Morgan Freeman walked up and started doing like a Boston accent, I'd be like, okay, you're still Morgan Freeman. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I, those are those are some good facts. So, um, I just had a a few more. The costume department had 17 undershirts in various stages of degradation on hands for on hand for Bruce Willis, and I have to give my wife credit. Bree pointed that out. I've never even thought about it. I'm just like, oh, he's dirty. He's got a little bit of dirt on, a little bit more dirt. Bree was like, that's a straight up brown undershirt now. They've gone from a white shirt with a little dirt on into a brown one. <clears throat> so that was cool. Um, ironically, Bruce Willis sneered at for being an all-American hero by the head German terrorist is actually more German than most of the villains. Alan Rickman was English. Um, Alexander Godunov was Russian. Bruce Willis was born on March 19th, 1955 in West Germany to an American father and a German mother. So that was pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Bruce Willis took the role of John McClane after it had been turned down by Robert De Niro. Willis had just been turned down to play Charles Grodin, play the Charles Grodin role opposite De Niro in Midnight Run. So that, that's funny. Coincidentally, both films, like I said, opened up the same weekend. Both great films. Die Hard's a little bit better, in my opinion. but Yeah, for me, I like Die Hard too. <laughs> Midnight Run's an awesome, awesome movie. So Alan Rickman nearly passed up the role of Hans Gruber, which ended up being his first film role. He had only arrived in Hollywood two days earlier and was appalled by the idea of his first role being the villain in an action film. To a degree, Rickman was uh, right to be concerned considering his performance as Hans Gruber was so hailed that the actor had to struggle being typecast as a player for villains for much of his career. So I can see that he was just you know almost too good, but those two things. If this movie does not have Alan Rickman, it could still be good, but it's nowhere. It's Alan Rickman is unreal in this. Um, and the last one I have is um, while making this film, cinematographer Jean de Bont got trapped in a lift. This later gave him the inspiration for the opening scene of speed in 1984 which he directed that's, that's right i think we i think we used that fun fact and uh yeah. speed didn't we yeah. A twofer. yeah <laughs> yeah yep double dip if it works for both um what do you have down do you have anything for not in this millennium stuff that wouldn't fly uh no i put nothing nothing at all which is another reason why this movie is timeless <laughs> totally agree um especially for when this came out 88 
and the fact that it's you know they were they weren't trying to make some PG rating or something. So they they had room to make jokes that they shouldn't, and they didn't. There's no there's no real. I mean, unless I miss something, there's no jokes or anything than this that you couldn't make today. Um, the only thing that was that sticks out to you is well, not the only thing, but one of the things that sticks out to you is if you're like 20 years old and you have lived all of your life in a post 9-11 world, having a gun on the plane, smoking on the plane, smoking in the building, that whole thing, it definitely dated it for sure. Not in a bad way, just just different time. But yeah, no, there was nothing that um, I was surprised because it's like they're swearing up a storm. It's crazy violence. So they had every reason to just be like, yeah, let's do something racist or homophobic yeah they could be something homophobic in the beginning but they didn't he just brushed off he's like what the hell happened (laughs) right yeah and and i i read things on that like people asking about that and i interpret that scene as a guy from new york being in la and being like what the heck because he didn't say anything to the guy no yeah i would do it if anyone kissed me a guy or a girl if like someone kissed me around me i'm like what is happening i didn't even interpret that as that guy being gay i just interpreted as that guy's drunk and high probably judging how everyone was doing coke yeah <laughs> and he's just having a good time and bruce willis is just like okay weirdo like yeah. whatever you know i love how he just brushed it off yep uh what'd you have down for your favorite scene tough tough call tough call so john mcclain is just your average guy extremely relatable hero he's not invincible he's not super powered he's just the, uh, the he's at the right place at the right time um at the right place well i, I guess you can say in his case the wrong time but it ended up working it worked out, for out him. but yeah because yeah. it worked out for him but yeah i think it's awesome like how like we talked about before, he's just your regular guy. Like he is, we can relate to him. He's just a regular New York cop who's here with a visiting his wife and family and ends up doing the impossible. Yep, saving everybody. Um, I love the confined location all taking place in one building. Um, and that's, again, in general, I love when movies do this anyways, but Die Hard perfected it having this movie all in one location. They took advantage of those different floors, different like scenery, so they could get away with it and still make it work. Um, and then Hans Gruber as the villain is the most important part of this movie. Without Hans Gruber as the villain, Die I don't think would be as big as it is today. I think Hans Gruber is the heart and soul of Die Hard 1 and is the biggest reason why it's so classic and timeless. Yep. I agree with that. So yeah, I can't really pick out scenes more just like, why this movie is so important to you because this whole movie is just like one it just flows so well it's just it everything about it make what the things that make it work is what i really just enjoyed this time around when watching it so i i agree there's a million scenes that i could have picked i picked out i made note of two i guess if i had to pick one my favorite scene would be it's kind of more of a sequence than one scene but it starts with mclean he's able to radio 911 and the lady tells him, like, sir, this is a, a secure line. You know, if you have a problem, call 911. And he's like, he gives the classic, like, no shit, lady, do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? pizza. <laughs> and then that transitions to Al, comes to check the place out, <clears throat> makes a decision that he says, oh, to hell with this. And he goes to leave. And John McClane decides that the only way to get him to understand how serious they're not listening to him. So I'm going to throw a, a corpse out the window. Onto, onto this guy's car, which crazy accuracy, by the way. It seems like there were a lot of other ways you could have like thrown a chair out, maybe even like shoot the cop car just to let them know stuff's going on. But whatever, it works. So, but that sequence <clears throat> is when the movie goes from like, I mean, I've seen this a million times, but 
watching it the first time, that's when you're like, all right, this isn't an incident that's going to take 20 minutes. We're we're in it. We're the, we're in it to fight for a while. This is going to be a battle, and it takes it up like another another notch. Right, and it's nice how in this movie the cops there from the beginning. It's not like this typical like action film where they arrive right when everything's ha- like everything's over, yep. the action's already done. They're there right from the beginning, and they yep. are like you know they're sh- some of them aren't being helpful, some of them are being helpful. So I love that like the dialogue between like you said the two characters throughout the entire film because they're they're the entire time together. And then the other scene that I I really love is the last showdown between Hans and John McClane. It's actually it's not even their last moment and it's not Hans's best scene to me, but the part that I love is McLean limping in covered in blood, half dead or three quarters dead. And he just says, hi, honey to his wife. And it's just like we've said a few times already, he's so human and he's so flawed. And it, it, it gives you like a Rocky vibe of like, he's picking himself off the canvas. He's like, He's just not going to die. They can't kill him. They've tried killing him. He should be dead. Um, that And then another one that I'm thinking of, just spur of the moment, is even though it's gross and I had to tell my wife to look away. Glass this, scene? The scene where he's picking a glass out of his yes. feet. And he's just like, and he's kind of given up. And and Al and him have that conversation. And Al like talks him, talks him, you know, kind of off a ledge, you know. That's probably and, my favorite scene too. If I, if I had to pick a scene, that'd probably be my favorite. Yeah, their their partnership and their friendship just over the radio is awesome. And then yeah. both getting each other through it. So um, soundtrack, what are your thoughts? So, I I mean, I liked it. We've talked about Michael Kamen a few times and with good reason. He's probably done the score to an action film you like. He has been involved with everything from the Die Hard movies, the Lethal Weapon franchise, Roadhouse, Last Action Hero, and the incredible animated film, The Iron Giant, among so many others. He's also been involved with TV as well, most notably with Banna Brothers. Um, and then, of course, we I can't forget that. the... Yeah, yep. And we can't forget the, the uh, Christmas classic, Christmas and Hollis by Run DMC, which really solidifies the fact that this is, is a Christmas, Christmas film. Christmas music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> but yeah, I really like the soundtrack. It's, Me again, too. it's not nothing that's remembered in these movies, but it's good when it, when it, when it needs to be. Yep, I agree. This is... Um... This is a weird, so the next thing we always talk about is if you could change one thing. And this is a weird one for me because, spoiler alert, I love this movie. But this is pretty easy for me um, if I could change one thing. The whole FBI subplot. I know that Ebert hated the chief, played by Paul Gleason, who we know from Breakfast Club, and didn't see the point in the character of the chief. But I think I actually get that. He kind of represented the supervisor in any industry who's like not, you know, he's, he's so far from the ground level that he can't relate to the people doing the job and what they do every day. He's just got his head up his ass and it's easy to sit in an office and tell people what they should do, but it's a lot harder when you're kind of in their position. So he was good playing off of Al. He was just so clueless. I, I actually kind of like, like that a little bit. So I get that, but the FBI guys, I don't understand really what purpose they served. I feel like there must have been something that was like cut out of the, like a something, a scene that was cut or something that made their role that where their roles would have made more sense if I saw it. But every time I watch this, I keep looking for a reason to that they needed to be in this, and I strike out every single time. And then like just little stupid stuff like the Johnson and Johnson, like oh no, the other one, 
I think I think that's I don't know. I I could deal without that whole part of the story. What about you? Anything you could change? So I put not a whole lot, but I did I did mention one nitpick, which is the same thing you just mentioned, Eric. The funniest thing I think like this one, like they're in the helicopter together, bickering. I'm like, it's like it doesn't feel like it feels like it's just you don't like them, right? Exactly. Like they're not in the movie long enough for me like to you know dock any points off or anything for that because it's just a small no. thing for me. But yeah, like you said, it feels like this feel like they could have just put any two cops in there as like a, just to kind of get, you know, because that's they're important for that rooftop sequence. But right. they could have put anyone else in that role for a brief moment and that'd be it. Like, let that be it. But yeah, their dialogue, they just feel like everything's just like a joke to them in this like serious moment. Right. Like, and it's one of the few times like John McClane can get away with the, the comedic uh, dialogue because he's in the situation. But I feel like these guys being outsiders who have no idea what's going on, they're, they're just, the economy is just really poor <laughs> so piss poor piss poor coming from them so like you said right. i could definitely do it without without the two guys but other totally. than that though i think this movie is perfect like i don't think there's anything else i would add or remove other than like that small little nitpick so i had one other small minor change and that's carl coming out at the end of the movie after we literally watched him hang by his neck for like 45 minutes <laughs> i was like i was just like come on i don't mind having the i like the scene where Al gets his like redemption. So here's my, how I would have done that. Make his first death be less like definite. Have, have McLean shoot him in the stomach or something, something where I could convince myself that at least there's like a one in a hundred chance that he survives. <laughs> Not like, you know, hanging 30 feet up by his neck. And he, and he hangs out there long enough that the people who leave the roof, when they go to leave the roof, he's still hanging there. They pass by his lifeless yeah. body, but then he somehow gets down from that 30 foot drop, survives, gets a gun and comes out. But I'd like, I, I just wish they just did that a little differently. But before we get into scores, I have a couple bonus questions for you. I have one. Okay. I think I, I, we might be sharing the same bonus question because I wrote one down as well. I have, I have a few. So, okay. We'll start with the one that I think we've kind of already answered. MVP of the movie for you. Hans Gruber. Alan Rickman. Right. I agree with you. And it is tough, though, because I don't think that there's many people who could have done what Bruce Willis did. No, no, for sure. Bruce Willis, like, I, this movie's perfectly casted, but Alan Rickman, I don't know if anyone else, I, I believe, like, Alan Rickman is the best film of all time. Me too. Me too. And, and the reason what made me, I was driving home today from the show in Providence, and I was going through actors, and I was like, who could, who could do this, the, the John McClane thing? Cause I kind of accepted that no one could do the Alan Richter thing. I was just like, I give up on that. And I told myself, I was like, Denzel Washington, I would buy Denzel Washington as I think he could pull it off. It may not be the same, but you could make this movie with Denzel Washington. It would still be amazing. You couldn't make this movie with, without Alan Rickman. I mean, it would still be good if you had another good actor, but it wouldn't be the same thing. So I think we agree on that. Um, second bonus question. Ellis's death is that the most satisfying death you've ever seen in a film when he's not the bad guy technically I think we're going to be stressing this question I love it and to, <laughs> me too to, to, to be fair I have to I have to be fair I always mention when the good people in the movie are Canadian the guy that played Ellis he's Canadian and I hate that dude, he sucks, but he was great for that reason. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you, yeah. you hated him so much. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yep. But, and then the last question, 
is this a Christmas movie, Joe? Yeah. It is. Yep. What makes it a Christmas movie to you? I mean, there's lots of hints. Like, I love this. Like, is, we don't need to see the outdoors. We don't need to see, we don't need to see the snow falling. We said the love of references. Like, you know, I forgot. We, oh my God, I can't believe my mind's went blank. I have a machine gun, ho, 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 stuff like that. We have like the, we see like the decorations around the, around the building still. We have the hints of, you know, the Christmas songs, like in the beginning a little bit. And then I guess, you know, so it's like, they don't need to shove it in your face as a Christmas movie the entire time, but it is a Christmas film. It starts outside during Christmas and it ends outside during Christmas. And the reason, the thing that finally switched me, because I was open, I was like, I love this movie either way. If it's not a Christmas movie, I don't care. But what finally switched me is that it, the goal was at the end to get back with his wife and kids. And, yep. you know, it's been Christmas. So I agree. All right. I have um, a question for you now. Go ahead. All right. I, I don't know if you've seen them, but what's your ranking of this, of the, of the diehard movies? I'll only rank the first. I have, I've seen, I've only, I, I've seen the first three, obviously. And then I saw the, the first recast, uh, the first, like the one that came out with like Justin Long, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So my ranking of the original three is one, three, two. Okay. Yeah. That's. Yeah. So I have probably something similar to that because I'm going to do all five of them, but I have okay. one, three, four, two, five. Okay. Five being the biggest piece of shit I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, you had one. So you thought. One, I thought wait, four is better one than two. Time? I think four is better than two. Oh, yeah, better than so, two. Better than two. Okay. So, I, three, so yeah, I have one, three, four, <laughs> two, five. And okay. I love two. I think two is I think two is really good, but I think four is I a lot of people don't like four because they went really like also like CGI and stuff, but I love that yeah. story of like I saw four digital theaters. terrorism. I thought that was super I thought I think that's a super cool plot because it's a real plot in this day and age. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, so that's my ranking. I love these movies, man. But like five was a huge letdown. Yeah, I, I think I, I told Brie, because since she's such a, a diehard fan now, just like a, a diehard, diehard fan, I told her that if we watched another one, it would be the third one. Because, uh, you know, it's that's just, I think, the next best one. So, which feels like an actual you, sequel. Like, John came back to direct that one. So, it feels like an actual, like, yep. sequel to one. Yep. No, I totally agree. So, um, so now's the time. If you listen to the podcast before, you know we rate movies on a scale of one to five. Would you mind keep paying a lady to keep this movie? So a score of one is you turn the movie on, you get a couple minutes in, you see Ellis doing cocaine on his boss's desk and that guy walking up and kissing John McClane. You're like, this is stupid. I don't watch Christmas movies set in California, just like I said last week. <laughs> um, uh, all the way up to the score of five, which is you're going to keep the movie an extra day or two or three pay the late fees, maybe even just buy it from the video rental store so you can watch it again, show your friends. This is my pick. So, Joe, what are you thinking? Yeah, just buy it from the video store and show it to your friends. It is a five out of five easily. I think I, I, I kind of give that away last episode, the end of it, I give it away throughout this whole episode. This movie is timeless and can be viewed at any time of the year, especially around Christmas time. The cast is perfect and no one else could have played any of these characters. We have the story of a regular guy who's in the wrong place at the wrong time, facing off against one of, if not the greatest villain of all time. Everything from the directing to the effects, the stuntman, everything. Everything just works. It's a perfect film that will forever be in my movie rotation. One thing that you just mentioned that I had made, I didn't have any notes about, and we have to say, the special effects. They're the incredible. They still hold up. Movie. They look like it. Yeah, they, they look yes. better than movies they do that, that, that come out today. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say, there are movies made in the late 90s, early 2000s that 
not like, oh, for that time. No, no, no. Compare them apples to apples. These are better. Yeah. Crazy special effects. Um, yeah, I pretty much agree with you. This is one of, if not the greatest action movies of all time because Bruce Willis is the perfect action hero. He's not invincible. Like we said, I know people, we know people that look kind of like him. He's vulnerable. He's not perfect. You have to think right up until this movie, pretty much every action hero, like we said, was roided out of their minds. Arnold, Stallone, um, these guys were, you know, they weren't even human. John McClane looked like he could be your friend's dad, but he was badass. He's flawed and badass. So, so guys like him, girls like him. Brie, when we were watching it, Brie was like, Bruce Willis is kind of a stud. And I was like, yeah, Bruce Willis is like an eighties. He was a hunk. So perfect action star. And then what's he up against? Probably the best bad guy of all time. Alan Rickman, almost charming as Hans. You kind of like him. You like a, you, yeah. you're you're almost like I wish that there was a way for John McClane to survive, save his wife and all the people, and have Alan Rickman get away. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm Pull a Woody Bulger for years. Yeah, yeah. You catch yourself liking him from time to time. True evil genius. Movies five out of five. Perfect. It's this is the crazy I, I there's not another movie we've watched that i could say this about i bet you i could ask brie to rewatch this movie this weekend and she'd probably do it she doesn't rewatch movies yeah, yeah. i mean maybe like she'll do like she needs a few years in between and she would rewatch this one i bet so totally agree um harpoon winter warmer is delicious again i will get a different christmas beer by next our next episode i'm going i'll go to rma over the weekend uh follow us on instagram worth a late fee suggestions are always welcome We'll be back next week, and this is kind of a, we're still doing the holiday thing and theme, and this is kind of a, a team pick, not just mine and not just Joe's. We love actually a little bit more modern, sticking with the Christmas theme. And uh, yeah, thank you guys very much for listening. Yeah, as always, thank you.